Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. It's the 11th of January, which we've already determined is 111-222. Right. Because it's 2022. Yes. It's like 111-222. Yes. I just, you know, those things mean a lot to me. You like it. It does, yeah. I mean, I figure they only happen once. Right. (laughs) That's true. It's fun to have the moment and... Then we had it. Okay. Yeah. It's done. It's at, Yeah, we've had it. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. And it's also Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Yeah. So it's morning tea. It is. Welcome to morning tea or tea time, whatever time you're having it, whether your tea is hot or cold. We're glad you're with us. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If you can't listen to morning tea on Tuesday, I hope you listen to it in the morning at some point because it's nice to be all snuggly and cozy. Yeah. That's what, I mean, we are. We Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. We're snuggly and cozy. Yeah. I got I got my extra, extra thick robe on, which is really nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are all in for the... The new year, and we are we're personally in preparation for silent retreats. We are. So, our little silent retreat plug. Sorry, be our second time. It's a sequel. Is it? <laughs> it is a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing it again. We are, because it was, yeah, still one of the most poignant moments of my life was my first retreat. So... It's a word that I have to practice. Poignant. Poignant. I like it. Yeah. Because I always I always see words when I say them. Mm, and, gotcha. And so I see poignant and it just throws me. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Sorry. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. I actually have one of those in the podcast today. So. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Just really, yeah, it's a struggle. It'll be a miracle if I get through it. But we'll, yeah. So, so easy. So simple. <laughs> Announcements? Um. Well, we have an immersion coming. We do have an immersion. this month. Immersion, Jane. This is our first immersion in two years. We've said that for a couple of weeks now, but mm-hmm. still, it's pretty newsworthy, isn't yes. it? Newsworthy. Yeah. Yeah. And the it is, it's full, I think, right now. And we're just excited to be back and back at it and in that environment and just, um, yeah, very exciting. And we have a phase two, the pilot of phase two immersion. And can't tell you very much about it because it's a pilot. We don't know. Right. <laughs> Learn as you go. <laughs> Love and Fuji, I'm sure, no more than us, but we just show up when they tell us to. But yeah, <laughs> we're very excited about it. Yes. Yeah. And the registration for winter tea mm-hmm. is up. Is up, yeah, for virtual uh, winter tea and... Yeah, we'll be communicating more about how all is progressing for winter tea as we go. Yep. But we had an Instagram post of that this week, so. Yeah, people were, seem to be excited about that. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Gumby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a fitting room seems to be filling up our spring fitting room, so lots happening, and we're just seeing with with papa the best way to navigate all that you know we're very fluid and flexible as as there are you know peaks and and valleys in covid and so we're we're just 
resting with Him, and so we'll keep updating as as things flow. Yeah, and move. We like flow. We do. We do like flow. We yes. surf the flow. Thank you for flowing with us, and yeah. I, I know everyone understands the need for fluidity and and being flexible right now. So things definitely can can look different as we get near, and and that's not a bad thing. So yeah, yeah, I like it. Just be at the ready for whatever he wants to do. That's the best thing. That's right. That's the best best thing. The You're very best. Well. Um, podcast today, um, we have a little choice to make, a little one, but a big one. Okay. And um, the, you know, the, the background on this is just that it's now two days ago that um, my mom, you know, G-Ma, had trouble hearing, and it ended up being nothing serious, everything's fine. But um, I was really praying about it, you know, like, oh, Papa, what's going on? What does that mean to you? And um, Papa shared some things about hearing, and um, so that's that's what I've got going on this morning. So um, we're going to start reading Second Samuel twenty-two. So we've got a two-two-two there. I don't oh, know if you, now I get it. You noticed I don't know that? Why you were so excited about it. Pretty excited about okay. the, these ones and twos this morning. I'm with you. But Second Samuel twenty-two verse seven. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I think Papa's really just talking about the words and the meaning today. Some of these Bible verses, the um, the context is not as important as the words. So, um, but here's 2 Samuel 22, 7. So, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice my cry came to his ears. So, you know, I just, I, I loved that. I loved the idea that, um, that God has ears, which of course God does, but, but this is actually said. And so, all right. So the word for ears in the Bible and the word for God's ears is ozen, which is Hebrew 241. It is a noun feminine. And it's made from Aleph, Zayin, and Nun. And uh, felt to get a covenant meaning from that word. So, um, Ozen, not a word you hear often, has the covenant meaning of the master's crown crowning humanity. And so, that I thought that was really cool. That's that That tells us something about the ears. First of all, the master's crown crowns humanity, and the ears are feminine. So, that's our Atara Tiara. And okay, all right, this is pretty cool. We're off to a roaring start. So, God's ears, our ears, are all about humanity being crowned with the crown of the bride, the crown of the royal priest. Okay. So, now, um, but the lesson Papa was showing in this, we're going to go to Proverbs 21, verse 13. So, whoever shuts their ears. So, okay, now we have a concept right now that it is possible for us to shut our ears, which I think we knew, but 
now we have that biblically to um, to take a look at. So whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. So Proverbs twenty one thirteen tells us that people shut their ears. And when I hear that, of course, I immediately am thinking, okay, when it's something we don't like or something that's inconvenient, something even that we're afraid of, whatever it is that would cause us to shut our ears, we're doing it as a defense mechanism or we're doing it as a comfort maintenance. But what we may not realize is when we shut our ears our ears are shut. You say, well, I'm only shutting them to this one thing, but that's not the case. If you shut your ears to any one thing, your ears are shut. And I feel like Papa is saying, if you shut your ears to something, you're shutting your ears. And so not only do you not hear that thing that you've rejected, but you may also have a limited ability to hear God. And so that that takes it up many notches in the serious category. In fact, here is our King Jesus in Matthew 13, verse 15. For this people, now remember Jesus is talking about generations a lot because he's dealing with that when he was alive. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. Now I could stop right there, but I'll keep going. And they have closed their eyes. So we can not only shut our ears, but we can close our eyes, according to Jesus. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So it's all about, you hear turn, to us that means return, or um, or change your mind, repent. So, um, so the fact that a person's heart becoming calloused or hard results in us hardly hearing because we've shut our ears and closed our eyes, and so we don't see or hear. When I heard this, I'm looking at the impact, and the impact, of course, is not seeing and not hearing, but it's also not understanding. And it's almost as if we lose access to the spirit of understanding, which is, of course, our Binah Ruach, which is uh, the seventh dimension. So it's like, because we shut ourselves down, because we're afraid of something, or we don't like something, or it's inconvenient, or it's not comfortable, or whatever our reasoning is, we have shut down our eyes, and or closed our eyes and shut our ears. And because of this, we've lost access to the spirit of understanding. Wow, that is a huge impact and a warning for us now that, you know, of course, with all the things we know about deception and all the things we know about, uh, and we've talked about this, but the phantom zone, that uh, abomination that causes desolation, using our imaginations to create phantom uh, scenarios that we live in by covenant, or the maze, which is uh, a demonic way for evil to lead us through seeds of truth to a desired conclusion that is away from God. And of course, the truth is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. But seeds of truth can cause us to become emotionally attached to something. This is a time in the world 
where the last thing we want to have is uh, uh, the loss of our access to the spirit of understanding. We need more than ever to understand. It's like seeing and hearing the signs and understanding what they mean. And this is something Jesus said to us over and over in Matthew 24. So here we are um, reckoning with the possibility that we have shut our ears. And today we're going to focus on shutting our ears and, and not having shut ears. So to get there, here's Proverb, no, here's Psalm 40, verse 6. So Psalm 40, verse 6, again, not necessarily in context, but listen to this. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. So God intervened, but God was the one who opened our ears. Isn't that interesting? We shut our ears. So Proverbs, whoever shuts their ears, but Psalm, God opened our ears. I just love that. And so, you know, this is God who loves us so much that he rescues us even from our own shutting our ears. But that doesn't mean that there's not a choice to make. So let's get there. So this word for opened is uh, kara, which is Hebrew 37, 38. It is a verb. It's made from kaf with a K, kaf, resh, and hay. It also means pierced. So when God opens our ears, God pierces us. He moves us. He, he, he's, he's God and his love So, you know, it's not just that he uses the power and authority to force us to do things, which is how people see it. You know, it's like, well, God is God. He can do whatever he wants. That's how people see it. But Pierce is something different. Pierce is is God's love impacting us in such a way that it moves aside our follow ground. It, 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 um, It enters, if you will, the calloused, callousness in our hearts. And, um, and I love that. Karaf also means pierced, but its covenant is transitioned to awakened breath. Now, if you remember the podcast from November 9th, we talked about how this word for female in Genesis 1.27, and that's all, we did a whole thing looking at male and the um, Tesalem image of God. So, we were, we were created, humanity was created in the um, masculine image of God, but we were also created in the feminine likeness of God. So, that's demuth. And so, we took a look at, at uh, feminine, uh, the, sorry, the likeness, which is demuth, to female, which is nikaba. So, nikaba um, had the covenant of the bride being one flesh with breath. And so, we, when we see breath now, I know it's the Spirit, but I'm also seeing the bride because the Spirit and the bride are becoming one. We're transitioning to oneness, and that's why the Spirit and the bride say, come, in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Here in Kira, we have, which is God piercing us or opening our ears because He loves us so much, but the covenant of that is God transitioning us to awakened breath. So immediately it's it's the bride becoming one with the spirit. Oh my, how awesome is that? So this journey of having our ears opened and being pierced by God, the choice that we make is is a um, huge part of us 
walking the journey of responding to the proposal of Jesus to marriage and becoming one with the Spirit so that we become one with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we could spend a year, I know. But, you know, again, it goes back to Romans 8, verse 9 through 11, and us having the Spirit of Christ within us. That's Christ within us, our hope of glory, from Colossians 1.27, but it's the same idea, the Spirit of Christ. And we always see Jesus and Christ as being synonymous, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that fell upon Jesus as a dove, fell upon us as fire. And that's us becoming one with the Spirit, and it's the Spirit, of course, that, that, you know, draws us into oneness with our King when we get married in that Revelation 19, verse 7, wedding of the Lamb. Ta-da. Okay. It's just, it's it's big, and I know that. So, okay. And believe it or not, I'm not done with the Bible verses. I have six of them today, so it's a whopper. Sorry. So, here's 2 Chronicles 7, verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Okay, so that's God talking. And, uh, and God's ears, uh, God's, eyes, God's eyes are open and his ears attentive. Now that word, which is the word that I struggle with so much, it's okay. poignant and attentive. So yeah, I did all right. So attentive ears, we want to take a look at. Okay, so here's Papa saying to us, okay, all these things that we're looking at, you need to see what it means for your ears to be attentive because we want attentive ears. So um, yes, I'm going to do it. So the word for attentive is kash shab, kashab. It sounds <laughs> it's like kashab, but it's kash shab. It's kashab, but it has two kash shab. There's two shins in there. So kashab is Hebrew 7183. It's an adjective. And it's made from cough with a Q, shin, shin, and bait. So that's that where I was messing up with the kashab. It has the covenant of crowning and piercing. Isn't this amazing? Mm-hmm. With divine revelation that completes one flesh. Okay, that's a that's a weighty one. So so crowning, so we're back to the ear. Piercing, so we're back to the opened ears. And, and with divine revelation, so this is, this is God speaking to us with something divine that is revealed to us. The same thing Jesus said he built the church upon, which is the revelation from the Father. I mean, the whole church is built upon this, right? So, the crowning and piercing with divine re- revelation that completes one flesh. But I need, to, I need to emphasize completes one flesh so we can say a completed bride becomes one with the Spirit. So, I'm, I'm really expanding completes one flesh. So, it doesn't just say that one flesh becomes complete, but we need to understand what that means. And it means a completed bride becomes one with the Spirit. And one with the Spirit is how we become one with Jesus. So, if we're looking at our journey on the path, we're, we're going to become a completed bride who is becoming completed with the Spirit so that we are completed with our King on the day of our wedding. So, um, this, this is huge. And, um, and what it says to us is that our journey of becoming attentive, our journey of having attentive ears is a journey of being prepared, poised, if you will, 
to welcome and receive the rest of the bride, our brothers and our sisters all over the world who have yet to choose, but are going to choose. Yes. And we are a part of that journey. Of course, the firstborn just simply prepare the way, and we are preparing the way for the Lord so that the bride sees and joins us. And wow. And yes, I do have one more Bible verse. So here's Job 4, verse 12. We love Job. Um, So a word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. I love it. So I, I, I felt like Papa said, we need to hear that caught. So my ears caught a whisper. So the word for caught is lakach. And that's Hebrew 3947. It's a verb made from lamed, cough with a Q, and chet. So it also means, so this is not covenant, but, it, but the word also means to make a choice of marriage. Hmm. Dang. <laughs> so to catch a whisper with your ears means it isn't just, it isn't just like I'm, you know, passive and I get hit with something. But to catch, like if somebody throws a ball at you, you have a, a choice, it may be reflex for some of us, but you still have a choice of whether you're going to grasp your fingers around that ball and catch it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a choice. So my ears chose to receive a whisper. And that choice was a choice of marriage. So when our ears are open, we can hear the still small voice. Right, And it calls us to say yes to Jesus. It calls us to become the bride. It calls us to become one with the Spirit. So we are in a daily choice of yielding to God so that we can have opened ears and the choice of catching that whisper. Um, and yes, I'm going to do it. So the covenant of Lakach is the king crowning into eternity. And so when we choose to receive the whisper of God, that still small voice that is speaking to us of who we are and our daily journey of um, becoming a completed bride that is one with the Spirit. So that journey takes us into eternity, which is, of course, an eternal um an eternal becoming, if you will. So even though we're already born uh, again into the spirit of never beginning and never ending, but now we are catching, we are choosing the crowning of eternity, which is the bride of eternity. And so not just our existence, never beginning and never ending, but us as one with the Spirit, us as one with each other, us as one with Jesus, who is one with the Father. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, choose open ears by yielding to God who opens them. The God who opens our ears uh, leads to being crowned and a complete bride that transitions into one with the Spirit and into eternity, never beginning, never ending. So, we have this this choice before us every day. Catch 
the whisper of God with open ears. Mm, So good. So good. Okay, I want to continue to touch the rest of the bride for the rest of the bride. Mm. And to do that, I want to enter into the dimension a little deeper that um, is the dimension of Shavat, which is Jehovah. But first, I want to look a little bit at a place that is meant to be a place of rest, which is the temple. So, we're going to talk about Anna, who we touched on last week, because she is from the tribe of Asher. And I mentioned then that I might come back to her because she's really important to our story. So, in Luke 2... 22 through 40. What? 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 Didn't even know it because I didn't have the little thing you had. (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) So we're reading the story of when Joseph and Mary are taking Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So he's their firstborn male and he's to be consecrated to the Lord. They come to the temple, and there's a man called Simeon, and he was there. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit is on him, as we read in this story, and he knows he will not die before he sees the Lord's Messiah, so the one the Lord would send. And so, he has this encounter, and it's pretty in-depth description of the encounter of Simeon and Joseph and Mary and Jesus, really, because Simeon actually holds Jesus. He cradles him in his arms. So, he had been in the the cradle of a stable, you know, in that that trough of the stable, and now he's in the cradle of humanity, in the arms of humanity. And he speaks these things to Mary and, and begins to say who, who Jesus will be, the sign that will be spoken against, and that, that her own soul will be pierced by him. So, we come from there. Mary just marvels at, at what he says. And then it says there was also a prophetess. Anna, who is the daughter of Penuel, probably not said right, sorry about that, and she's from the tribe of Asher. Now, we're in the Gospel of Luke, which is all about inheritance and becoming one flesh. Each of the Gospels speaks to one of the four covenants and and prepares for the next covenant. So, Luke's Gospel, he, he shares through inheritance, but then also this preparation to be a bride, to be betrothed, to enter into that covenant. So, the one flesh, and one of the ways he does this is he'll talk about a man, and then he talks about a woman. And so, you'll see that pairing a lot. Like, if you only read through Luke one time to look at that, it's it's worth doing that, to look at the times he would speak about, tell the story of a man and then a woman, and they would be brought together in this one, this oneness, this one flesh picture. So, it's pretty cool. So, here he's doing it with Simeon and Anna. So, they aren't um, connected in that they're not married. In fact, Anna is a widow, um, but they're here at the temple together, and they both 
recognize Jesus as who he is. So it's interesting because with Simeon, he really goes into detail about his experience with the Lord, this encounter he has with Jesus. But with Anna, there's fewer lines, and he doesn't talk about her actual meeting with with the baby Christ, but her response to the meeting. And so, we've got this full description and then a few lines of Anna. And it's interesting with Luke because he, he was a very brilliant writer and he was a doctor. So, it's said that he his writing was often like an autopsy because it was very detailed, very, very revealing and very beautiful. He only documents her response and he uses um, a technique. It's like, it's called a narrative gap. And he actually uses it pretty often where he he gives full description and then there's this this gap in the narration and it's it's leading to discovering of mysteries because we're headed from Luke to John which is not about the history of Christ it's about the mystery of Christ so all of this it's just beautiful when you see how it's woven together through through people you know who were just responding to the story Papa was telling, and I love it. So, okay. So, we just see her response. So, one thing we know is that Anna never left the temple. Like, we know the tribe she's from, and and just these few lines tell us a lot. So, she's the daughter of Penuel, whose name means the face of God or to recognize. So, Let's look at just a little context of where Simeon and Anna are in the midst of this story. So they're both at the temple, and we see that that Anna never leaves the temple, and I'll touch on that in a minute. But the temple is meant to be a place of rest, but throughout the story— of Jesus and His coming and the, the ones awaiting Him— it is generally a place of unrest. So at the time of his birth, there's, you know, it's just the Caesar is tax hungry, Herod is power hungry, and the temple is an unrest. Everyone is being coerced. And there's just this, this confrontational relationship between the townspeople, the farmers, the fishermen, and then Herod and the Roman officers who are wealthy and have what seems to be all the power. The reality is the temple is can be affected by the social climate. Let's look at that in the context of Anna. She's in the temple and there is unrest all around, yet it is she who is worshiping night and day, no matter what is happening around the temple, no matter what is trying to invade the temple, she is worshiping night and day, fasting and praying. And it is she, not the religious leaders, not the officials of the day, who they, they're looking at the prophecy as much as anyone, but she is the one, she and Simeon are the ones to recognize 
He's present. He's come. He is there. And so her response is to give thanks to God. And then she goes and speaks to the child, speaks of the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So Simeon and Anna recognize, both recognize him and in a different way. Simeon recognizes him as the Christ or as the one sent by God, the king sent by God. And he just has this coronation <laughs> ceremony basically for him. And then Anna recognizes him as the redemption, the one that the people are waiting for. So there's this recognition of government and humanity in it. And so it's really amazing. So she wasn't just in the temple, she was a temple awaiting the presence of him. And she knew the place he was going to be to her and who he would become to her. So she's 84. And she's been in the temple for a long time. There's, there's different thoughts on how long she was widowed. But realistically, from the moment she was widowed, she never left the temple. So her wait was not short. It was, it was you know, she went through generations. So she's there. And I think something really important for us in this well, for one thing, she was from the, a lost tribe, the tribe of Asher. Now, something lost is found, and here's this picture, and which she, she walks out in her response, going and telling everybody, because she knows that those scattered, because there have been many scattered waiting for a Savior, that those who are scattered now have the geography of Jesus to come to. They now have a place to return to what they've been waiting for. Now they have this geography of Jesus. He's real. He's present. He's with them. And so she spends her life tending to the idea that he's coming. And no matter what it looks like around her, she won't stop tending this idea that he's coming. She removed herself from the distractions of those who wanted the temple to serve them or their purposes instead of God's. So that's, that's what her temple became, was the reality of who he was and, and who he would become. So I think for us, this really brings a question related to rest. If we are here as temples— we too can be affected by the climate of our day, the social climate and all the cries for war that there are. But what does our temple look like? Is it the, the place of unrest that it was in those days because of all the things going on in the world? Was it a place of unrest or was it a place of peace because of who of who we, who we welcome as the king, who we know is coming into every single day. Is our temple a place of war or rest? And we both, we both have had an experience over the last month where we got to take one of the girls um, 
the youngers to the emergency room and they're they're fine <laughs> but you know and it was just different circumstances one of them at the urgent care they didn't have the test to do and it was a saturday so you know that's what the options were and then the other one couldn't go to her doctor unless she had had a 24-hour covid test that was negative and you know she was not feeling well so we learned from the previous urgent care experience just to go to the ER in case there was a test they needed to do. All that to say, both of us came out of that ER kind of feeling like we'd been in a war zone, you know, like a, it was, it was a bit traumatic, honestly. And um, when I was there, on my turn <laughs> to go, uh, I mean, it was full and, and I actually had to go out because they weren't letting anyone but patients be in after a bit because it was getting so full. And there was a, an older couple, and um, I don't know why they just made me think of Simeon and Anna. And they were, they were older, their son had dropped them off, and they, they knew they had COVID, but they'd been sick for weeks, and they weren't getting better, and they were having trouble breathing. So it was spaced pretty well in there, and then that's why they sent anybody that had brought people you know, out of the waiting room. But they were very ill, and you know, they were just waiting for healing. You know, they were waiting for healing. And the man was just so precious, and he says to his wife, oh, I give out. I'm just give out. I have to lay down. And she said, but there's nowhere for you to lay. And he said, I have to. I'm just going to get on the floor. And so he did. He got on the floor, this cold floor, you know, and he's, he's 87, he said. And so, and he was just hurting so bad. So he lays down and somebody goes and gets him a blanket for his head and he's there for a bit, and I think it was just long enough for him to get a little strength. And then security comes and says, Sir, you have to get up. You can't lay here. Somebody's going to trip over you. And honestly, he was pretty visible, and he was lined right up on the chair, so nobody was just going to you know, trip over him. But I saw that there was something to trip over, and it was the idea that there really is rest for us. And so as I'm sitting there and then I'm I'm in the car for a bit of time and uh it's like, you know, Papa, what was I seeing? And he said, you know, everybody's focused on these external battles. We have to battle this so that it's it's fixed or it's defeated or whatever. But he said the battle is truly for the hearts of my people. The battle is for the faithful to try to to cause a turn, to try to bring an unfaithfulness. I can't wait anymore and to begin to wage a war for what we're expecting, for that which we wait, you know, and though we've been doing it faithfully for so long, there is, there is an aim at us to get us to be unfaithful, to bring us to an unfaithfulness. So we really have to understand that the temple has always been affected by the social climate, and we are temples. And to begin to look at the temple of us and see, is our temple affected by 
the unrest or is it a place of rest? Is it a place He truly can dwell with us because we've prepared the atmosphere of ourselves and to recognize that we are never meant to leave the temple. Anna never departed the temple. How are we occupying the temple? Are we truly occupying the place He has us right now with the fullness of who He is and who we are becoming? Are we really occupying that place? Because peace and rest come when we fully occupy the place where He is with us, where we are choosing the place that He has has put us and and we know that he has everything in that place for us. We we don't feel that call to war if we have rested with him. So this this occupation is really significant in our story. It was after Jesus ascended, the disciples returned to Jerusalem, how? With great joy. And they were continuously in the temple praising God. That's Luke 24. 53. Now, they had a lot of unrest and still waging of war around them, yet they came with great joy and they were continuously in the temple. They were continuously present with Him because He had given them a place to be. He had given them the Spirit. He had given them a place to be and recognize Him continuously so they could praise Him constantly. And we have that same ability to recognize Him and to respond and come with joy and praise Him in the place where we are. So, the good news was meant to be shared. So, Anna went and and just began um, sharing this good news. The Redeemer has come and how blessed she was to see it. The disciples were doing the same thing and we can do the same thing. We need to be aware there is a battle for our hearts, and that battle can bear war if we let it. So, we've talked about this many times about what war really means. So, we see war as what, what we see, you know, around us, and the, the, whether it's governmental or national or whatever it is, there's, there's kind of a definition of war we can unknowingly carry. But in ancient Hebrew, the meaning of war wasn't necessarily about protecting a country or that kind of thing. It was, it was to obtain food or have supply lines restored because something had been occupied other than their, their place there. Something had been occupied, so they would... They would go to restore the, the supply lines as the Lord led them, or all the other nations were fighting for their gods to make their God most prevalent. And so, often the ancient Hebrew people were, it was about their God, you know, not about their stuff, <laughs> I guess. So, the, the word for war is going to be butchered, so it's milakamah. <laughs> And if you remove the first letter and the last letter, you have the last letter. You have the word laham, which means bread. So the root word for war is laham or bread. So 
when you add the preposition mem to it, it means because of bread. And then I think of the letter mem, which is a womb, and it's concealed truth open. So it's to bring truth is, is the reason. And so it's, it's about food for the family. In Exodus 15.3, it says, Jehovah is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. So this this was a this passage is part of praise after passing through the Red Sea Moses is singing this the enemy has been conquered and he's singing this but it's interesting he uses the name Jehovah because there's there's a different name he could have used which was Elohim which is when the enemy is just conquered and even though that's what happened he uses the name Jehovah Jehovah is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. So, so they are coming in. They've passed through and they're coming to the land of milk and honey and really worship. That's what Moses is singing about. We're going to be able to worship freely again, you know, not just in our homes, not just in these places, but in the world. We're going to be able to reveal who God is to us. Fully Now, they did it by how they lived, but now it's going to be also by how, how they express it, how they manifest all that God has done and been. This phrase for Jehovah, this, this Jehovah is a man of war, or really it's Jehovah is about bread. So, ish would be the word used, and it's spelled aleph, yod, shin. Now, yod is is a hand or it means completion or order and it's on the right side of a left which is papa which is god okay and then on the left side is shin which is to be pierced with revelation to bring change so if you look at this and try to apply it to our world right now yod is about order shin is about change so these are two extremes really. And they're on either side of Papa. So what does Papa do as this this man about bread, this God about bread, is he draws the two extremes to himself to create peace. He brings them together in peace for bread. He sets a table for peace and reconciliation, which is what the two sides actually want. So he draws to himself and creates peace or rest for them. Now, it's Jehovah that was used in Exodus 15.3, and Jehovah has a feminine ending. So that expresses the caring and nurturing side of God, that this is the God that provides food and brings peace. This is the God that sets the table. Jehovah is, and brings peace between enemies. The purpose is peace, not destruction. It's not to punish, but to protect or to endure. So think of that in the, the dimension of Jehovah, which is about this forgiveness and mercy. It is about setting a table. It is about drawing the opposites together for reconciliation and to bring peace. So for us, we get to see as temples, what is the place we are occupying? 
because the place we are can be an affliction to us, or it can be an inheritance. It can be a poverty or a possession. What? How are we occupying His presence, and how are we occupied? Are we occupied by the things of the world? Are we occupied by Him? And truly, what is our occupation? You know, so much of our time is spent about what our occupation is going to be or our purpose or those things. And our occupation first is to never leave the temple. It is to never leave the temple, to never stop believing for who He says He is to us and how He says He will come that we don't have an expectation for Him to come differently than what He said to us, that we, we so dwell in His Word, we know who we're looking for. And it's still, He's going to come so mightily and so marvelously, it'll take our breath away. But we know on whom we wait. And, and in this place of exploring rest, we wait with Jehovah, we wait with the one who provides and brings peace, the one who reconciles, the one who prepares a table for us in the presence of everything else that's been occupying us. Every enemy of our heart, every, every enemy of our soul, He sets a table for the enemy of us. He loves us so much so that we will be we will be so aimed at our occupation of worshiping Him, of expressing who He truly is, not getting into the fray of the world, but knowing that we get to, we get to be the good news to the world. We get to be the one that says, the Redeemer has come. Christ is the King. We get to reveal who He truly is to a world that is yet waiting, not because He hasn't come, we're not waiting for Him to come. We're, we're part of the recognition of Him, coronating Him everywhere He is so someone can recognize Him as He truly is, the God of peace, the God who brings peace, the God that can restore, the God that can um, reconcile, the God who, who does overturn everything that doesn't belong, and He will overturn everything that we are at war with. He will bring peace to all of our war. And before we get fully aimed at the war out there, we've got we've to let Him bring peace and reconciliation, set a table in the temple so we can be at peace with ourselves, with who He truly is, and let Him be that in our life. It won't matter where we go, where we are, if we don't have that peace, if we don't allow Him to reconcile those two sides of us, the one that wants, I want everything in order, I want what you've said now, and then the one that has the revelation but wants to do it our way. You know, those can be the two sides of us and we don't rest right where He has us. We don't allow Him to be the temple we enter and to then be the temple He dwells in so that we go peacefully into the world, which does mean to bring order and it does mean to reveal Him, but those things have to be reconciled. We can't have a left and a right within us. 
we have to be centered in Him. In Luke 19, there's a, a parable. I think it starts in verse 11. Um, and it's just talking about occupying, because to occupy means to trade or to exchange, so to, to get rid of what doesn't belong, so what really belongs can be there. So Jesus is giving the disciples a parable. So at this time, they feel that any minute he's going to set up his kingdom. They're coming close to Jerusalem, and any minute they think he is going to set up his kingdom. And it's going to immediately appear. He's going to do everything they've been waiting for for this physical rule on earth. They didn't yet understand his immediate purposes. And so he begins to tell them the parable of the, the servants, the 10 servants who are delivered 10 pounds. And it, it you know, goes on to things we're very familiar with, those who came back to the master, you know, and one invested it and another, you know, wrapped it up in a cloth. And, and you've talked so much on the parable of the talents, which are so crucial but he's telling them this parable and he says to them, occupy till I come. And, and I think that's so important for us. Just back to Anna, occupy the place of my presence. Occupy the place you know I am and hold on to that word until I come for it. And that means there's this daily coming. There's this daily coming He does to occupy the words He's given us, to occupy the purpose He's given us, to occupy the place we are. And then it all comes full when we rest, when we let Jehovah sustain us. Jehovah provides, Jehovah nurtures, Jehovah takes us through those hard moments when we, we can't yet see it. But we believe it. We know who He is. We know what He does. We know every testimony. I think that, you know, the 10 people and the, the 10 men and the 10 pounds, the testimony, we keep testifying with everything He does. We're out and about and we're saying, He's done it. He did it. It's real. It's true. Because in this battle for our hearts, it's more than getting us to leave a spot. It's to get us to, to question who He really is to us and to get us to, to turn on what is real and true in our hearts, what, what has kept us, what has sustained us, what has, you know, that shin, what has pierced us and kept us with Him to get us to to go somewhere else and look for something different that we can prove ourselves, we can prove our faith with, you know, instead of just being faithful. So, yes, the rest of the bride. I'm in love with a God who brings um, order and change together yeah at a banqueting table yeah and um of course that's that's me you know anytime he's feeding somebody <laughs> you're there I'm, i mean you know yeah. as soon as the table's got food on it you know here i come but but when the table's you know laden with 
peace. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, you know, it, I think, I think that is a loud sound for today that we want our ears open to hear, which is listen to what's happening. You know, it's not about the threat of war. It's about what, how is God going to bring us together at a banqueting table? And if we begin moving in that with God, maybe we'll see the world follow in the, um, in the momentum, you know, that we've created. You know, there's almost a gravity of love that, that draws behind us when, when, you know, when, when you go forward in um, a banqueting table. Yeah. Well, I'm in love with him too. I just, you know, and that's it. He's so worthy of our faithfulness. He's so worthy of our devotion. You know, he fights for us. Exodus 14, 14. You need only be still, which means rest with him. He will fight for you. And that means he's fighting for all of us. He's fighting for the redemption of all of us. That's the business he's about. That's his occupation, the redemption of all. And our occupation is to be with him in it. You know, everything else outside of that, of that occupation, you know, we so want the external satisf- satisfaction. But everything from that place of occupation, that place of being occupied, leads to the work of our hands. It leads to everything we do externally that expresses Him. And then it's joy, not work. It's, it's not toil. It's, it's all testimony. And uh, yeah, we love Him so much to, to stay in that place with Him and not seek for ourselves what we can get, but believe He creates rest. He isn't just rest. He creates it for every situation. And if you're in a place of unrest, ask Him, how, do you, how could you create rest for me today? And He'll let you see things you haven't seen. The, the choice of unrest isn't to get somewhere else. It's to let Him bring rest to where you are first. Then you can freely go anywhere because you're going with Him. Mm. Right? That's a beautiful, you know, there's a heralding horse. Hmm. And in Zechariah, it found rest. Yeah. In Revelation, it found heavy toil. And that, there's our choice. Mm-hmm. Choose Papa, choose Elohim, and find rest. Yeah, his oh. peace is perfect. I know that's right. All right, we love y'all. We really do. We'll see you on live stream. Yes, we will. Bye.